today on a middle-aged woman's menopausal journey. Tingling sensation in the extremities. Sleeping difficulties. America's workforce is graying and ageism could cost the economy trillions of dollars. I'm also going to be talking about relationships in the scope of our younger generations. How they view each other and how they view relationships through their eyes. A lot of them I realize have experienced or witnessed a lot of trauma and that causes them to have negative attitudes towards commitment to one another. And it's unfortunate. Just want to share some thoughts on that. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to get into these topics. Stay tuned. Menopause, Tingling All Over Your Body and Fingers by Shannon Perry, last updated on June 17, 2021. If you ever get a weird tingling, crawling, numbness, or itching in your extremities, hands, feet, arms, legs, it might just be menopause. We all know the pins and needles feeling of realizing you've been in one position too long and your foot fell asleep or of toes warming up after an afternoon of sledding. But when the burning or tingling all over your body happens for none of the usual reasons, it can be a little alarming. Fear not, it's called paresthesia. It's not uncommon and it usually stops when estrogen levels stabilize. Knowing that doesn't make it any less annoying so we're going to talk about what it is and how to get rid of it for our symptom of the month. What causes the tingling in my hands? Menopause and nerves have a complicated relationship. Surprise! Declining estrogen levels may be the culprit because estrogen levels impact our central nervous system. When those levels start to fluctuate, some of the nerves are impacted. The sensations can take a lot of forms, tingling, burning, crawling skin, cold, numbness, the classic pins and needles, and increased sensitivity. Women report symptoms from intermittent and mild to lasting and painful, even to the point of waking them from sleep. What about in the face? Is that paresthesia as well? This is most likely due to essentially the same cause, but with a different outcome. Most women report menopausal paresthesia of the hands. 
but it's not uncommon to experience the same effects in the face. It can be particularly unpleasant and can cause serious questions about your overall state. If your facial paresthesia is caused by the same declining estrogen levels, then the same treatments and remedies can theoretically be just as effective, which we'll get into shortly. Is the tingling sensation dangerous? Paresthesia due to hormone fluctuation isn't dangerous on its own. Although numbness in the feet can cause women to lose their balance and fall when walking or running. Some women report the numbness or other sensation can make it temporarily difficult to grip or do fine finger movements. Which explains probably why a lot of women who've done office work for a long time, when they reach a certain age, they start to complain of having carpal tunnel syndrome and start wearing braces for their wrists and hands. I never thought about that. You learn something new every day. Getting back to the article. When suffering a bout of paresthesia, it's important to pay attention to how your body may be affected and adapt to any reduced ability. This can also lead to increased menopausal anxiety. So it's important to pay close attention without stressing over it too much or you'll be doing more harm than good. And of course, if you're concerned about the severity of your symptoms or if the tingling is disrupting your life, work, or hobbies, describe your symptoms to a doctor. If you can find a doctor who is particularly experienced with menopause symptoms and treatments, even better. What can I do about the prickling in my thumbs? As usual, there are lifestyle changes to try first. Number one, eat right. A balanced diet with plenty of fresh fruits and veggies helps regulate the body and may help moderate symptoms. Regular exercise improves blood flow and reduces tension, both of which can help relieve paresthesia. Stretch, move, get acupuncture and or massage. Again, improving circulation can really help with paresthesia symptoms. Also, these treatments can be great for reducing stress and stress often contributes to increased paresthesia symptoms. Sleep, hydrate, cut back on alcohol and caffeine. You know all these already and should be doing them for all your menopause symptoms. Give your central nervous system all the support it needs to do its job well. Practice good sleep hygiene to maximize your downtime. If you smoke, quit. Smoking is hard on the circulation, restricting blood flow. Plus, there are so many reasons to quit smoking at this time of life. If you want to quit but are struggling, talk with a Genev health coach for tips on how to cut back and finally quit entirely. Add supplements. B12 deficiency is a particular cause of paresthesia. And adding iron, magnesium supplements, and vitamins B, C, D, and E might help. If you suspect you may be low on B12, that's a good time to see a healthcare professional. If none of these make the paresthesia manageable, talk to a doctor about medical interventions like hormone replacement, topical creams, or a low-dose antidepressant medication for menopause symptom treatment. When should I consult a doctor? 
Tingling and burning sensations can be caused by more dangerous conditions such as fibromyalgia or stroke. So if you have any of the following as well as the paresthesia, talk to your doc. Difficulty controlling arms, legs, hands, or feet. Problems walking. Increased urination or inability to control bladder or bowels. Muscle weakness or paralysis. Changes in vision or speech. Slurring. Fainting or blackouts. If the tingling is present in more than just an extremity, especially if it's present in half of your body. Paresthesia may not be pleasant. And it might distract you when it strikes, but it generally isn't considered painful. The more severe, sometimes more painful version is called dysesthesia. Dysesthesia. And may be related to multiple sclerosis. If your tingling is painful, talk to a doctor. While paresthesia related to menopause is considered chronic, long-lasting or recurring, there are ways to moderate the sensations until estrogen levels reach their new normal and sensations reduce or disappear. If paresthesia is interrupting your sleep or impacting your quality of life, talk to a doctor or trusted healthcare professional for ways to find relief. As always, the information contained in this article is not intended to replace expert advice from a medical professional. If you think your paresthesia may be related to causes other than menopause, please seek help. Can menopause cause insomnia? Written by Kimberly Holland, updated on September 10th, 2020, medically reviewed by Deborah Sullivan, PhD, MSN, RN, CNE, and COI. Menopause and insomnia. Menopause is a time of major change in a woman's life. What's to blame for these hormonal, physical, and emotional changes? Your ovaries. You officially reach menopause once a full year has passed since your last menstrual period. The blocks of time before and after that one-year mark are known as peri- and post-menopause. During perimenopause, your ovaries begin producing lower amounts of key hormones. This includes estrogen and progesterone. As these hormone levels fall, symptoms of menopause surge. One such symptom is insomnia. Insomnia is a disorder that prevents you from getting adequate sleep. This may mean that you have a difficult time falling asleep. It can also mean that once you do fall asleep, you have a hard time staying asleep. What are the symptoms of insomnia? The symptoms of insomnia aren't as clear-cut as not being able to fall asleep or to stay asleep. Although these are two of the biggest indicators, others do exist. People with insomnia may take 30 minutes or longer to fall asleep, get fewer than six hours of sleep, or three or more nights per week. Wake too early, not feel rested or refreshed after sleeping, feel sleep you're tired throughout the day, and worry about sleep continually. Over time, this loss of sleep can take a toll on your health and well-being. In addition to being tired, insomnia can affect your health in several ways. You may feel anxious, feel irritable, feel stressed, 
have a hard time focusing or paying attention, find it difficult to remember things or stay on task, experience more errors or accidents, experience an increase in headache frequency, and experience gastrointestinal issues such as an upset stomach. Is there a connection between menopause and insomnia? For women transitioning into menopause, sleep problems are often par for the course. In fact, approximately 61% of women who are postmenopausal experience frequent bouts of insomnia. Going through menopause can affect your sleep cycle on three different levels. Hormone changes. Your estrogen and progesterone levels decrease during menopause. This can trigger a number of changes in your lifestyle, particularly in your sleeping habits. This is partly because progesterone is a sleep-producing hormone. While your body copes with these dwindling hormone levels, you may find it harder to fall asleep and more difficult to stay asleep. Hot flashes. Hot flashes and night sweats are two of the most common side effects of menopause. As your hormone levels fluctuate, you may feel as if you're having sudden surges and drops in your body temperature. You're actually experiencing a surge of adrenaline that's caused by the rapid decrease of hormones. This is the same chemical responsible for your reaction to stress or a fight or flight scenario. Your body may have a hard time recovering from this sudden surge of energy, making it difficult for you to fall back asleep. And medications. Just as natural chemical and hormonal changes can interfere with sleep, so can changes caused by any medicines or supplements you're taking. Sleep disturbance is a side effect for many medications. So if you're beginning a new medicine or using an over-the-counter supplement, that may contribute to your insomnia. What else causes insomnia? Sleepless nights aren't uncommon for anyone. In fact, most people will face a night or two of restless sleep quite frequently. Common causes include stress. Work, family, and personal relationships can take their toll on more than just your mental health. They can affect your sleep too. Mental health disorders. If you suffer from anxiety, depression, or other mental health disorders, you're at a greater risk for experiencing insomnia. Many of these disorders, in addition to emotional symptoms, can cause sleep disruption. Poor dietary habits. Eating too late in the evening can affect your digestion and, in turn, your body's ability to sleep. Drinking stimulants such as coffee, tea, or alcohol can also disrupt your body's sleep cycle. Travel for work. If you have more sky miles than car miles, your sleep schedule is likely affected. Jet lag and time zone changes can take a toll both in the short term and in the long term. Your risk for insomnia also increases as you age, especially if you're over age 60. This is because of the natural changes in your body's sleep cycle. How is insomnia diagnosed? Your doctor will first ask you about your sleeping habits. This includes when you usually wake up, when you usually go to sleep, and how tired you are during the day. They may ask you to keep a sleep diary to track these behaviors over a period of time. Your doctor will also perform a physical exam to check for any underlying conditions that may cause insomnia. 
In some cases, this means they will also take a blood test. If the cause can't be determined, your doctor may recommend that you stay the night at a sleep center. This allows your doctor to monitor your body's activity while you sleep. How is insomnia treated? Although many of the causes for your frequent insomnia don't have true cures or treatments, there are a few things you can do to help invite better sleep. Create a room that's suited for sleep. Oftentimes, the room you're trying to get some shut-eye in is interfering with your ability to do just that. Three main components of a bedroom can affect your sleep. This include temperature, light, and noise. You can address this by keeping your bedroom temperature as cool as you can handle. A solid recommendation is around 65 degrees. Cooler rooms make you more likely to hibernate well. Shutting off any lights. This includes alarm clocks and cell phones. The buzzing and blinking lights of a cell phone can alert your brain even when you're asleep and you'll be waking up at odd hours without any clear explanation and stopping any unnecessary sounds. Turning off the radio, removing ticking clocks, and shutting down appliances before you tuck in can help lull you into a good night's sleep. Eat earlier. A light snack or a glass of milk before bed probably won't do any harm, but a big meal before you crawl between the sheets may be a recipe for a nighttime wake-up call. Going to sleep on a full stomach may cause heartburn and acid reflux, both of which may make you uncomfortable while you're asleep. Practice relaxation techniques. Finding a way to decompress and relax can help you ease into sleep. A bit of gentle yoga or mild stretching just before bed may help you calm your mind and feel more at ease while you sleep. Ditch bad habits. Smokers and drinkers will likely find that sleep is even more elusive during your premenopausal and menopausal days. The nicotine in tobacco products is a stimulant which may prevent your brain from powering down for sleep. Although it's true that alcohol is a sedative, the effect won't last. Alcohol also prevents deep stages of restorative sleep, so the sleep you do get isn't doing too much for your recovery. Is insomnia treated differently when it's related to menopause? If your insomnia is related to menopause, you may find relief through balancing your hormone levels. There are several options for this, including hormone replacement therapy. This therapy can supplement your estrogen levels while the natural levels decline during perimenopause and menopause. Low-dose birth control. A low dose may be able to stabilize hormone levels, which could ease insomnia. Low-dose antidepressants. Medications that alter your brain chemicals may help you find sleep. You may also consider taking melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone that helps control your sleep and wake cycles. It can help restore your sleep cycle. If your doctor suspects that your recent insomnia is the result of a medication or a side effect of medication interactions, they will work with you to find better medication options that don't affect your sleep. What you can do now. Many people will experience bouts of insomnia from time to time. 
but menopause-related insomnia can stretch on for weeks and months if not properly treated. If you're experiencing insomnia, you should meet with your doctor to, to discuss your options. In the meantime, there are several things you can do to reduce or relieve your symptoms. They include taking frequent naps. Sure, you can't exactly pop your head on your desk at work, but who's to stop you from a power nap during your lunch hour? Nap on the weekends at any time. Nap on the weekends and any time you feel tired. If you're sleepy and think you can get some shut-eye, take advantage of that. Staying hydrated. If you're struggling to stay alert, reach for a glass of water. Water can help you keep your natural energy up. Listen to your body. As you age, your internal clock changes. You may not be able to stay up late and rise early like you once did. Moving your sleeping times around to what your body naturally wants to do may help. Americans are getting older and we're not making enough room for them at work. A study from AARP found that the lost economic activity from those older Americans not being able to find work, change careers, or earn promotions because of age discrimination cost the U.S. economy $850 billion in lost gross domestic product in 2018. What's more, by making it harder for older workers to reach their full potential, the research suggests Ageism and age discrimination could add up to trillions of dollars in lost value in the coming decades. When you have an age-inclusive workforce, productivity tends to be much higher, says Gene Axius, Senior Vice President of AARP Global Thought Leadership. You have creativity and innovation at a much higher rate. You have lower turnover and you also have greater revenue. One of the core current demographic trends is the aging of the U.S. population as people live and work longer and birth rates decline. The Census Bureau estimated there were about 118 million Americans over age 50 in 2020, and the Bureau projects that number to rise to 157 million by 2050. The population of older Americans is projected to grow more quickly than the population as a whole. The Census Bureau estimated that about 36% of the U.S. population was 50 or older in 2020, and that share is projected to grow to about 40% by 2050. Older Americans are also working in larger numbers than ever before. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the number of Americans 55 and older either working or actively looking for work has more than doubled since the 1990s, with about 37 million older Americans in the workforce as of March 2021. The big increases in older workers presents challenges and opportunities to businesses. Ageism is costing us trillions. Age discrimination leads to older workers being laid off, not hired, or not promoted in disproportionate numbers. The 2020 study, a joint project from AARP and the Economist Intelligence Unit, found that pushing older Americans out of the workforce, 
costs the economy billions each year and that those losses could rise to the trillions within the next few decades. The effects of age discrimination are evident in older Americans' outcomes in the job market. The AARP study included an analysis of pre-pandemic unemployment data which found that men over 50 who lost their jobs spent about five more weeks unemployed than men under 50 on average. Women over 50 had unemployment stints on average a whopping 13 weeks longer than women under 50. That suggests that it's harder for older workers to find new jobs than their younger peers. Age discrimination is costly. The AARP study estimated that the U.S. lost out on $850 billion in 2018 because of the lost economic activity from older workers being stymied in their careers. The group projects that this could increase to nearly $4 trillion in lost gross domestic product by 2050. The above chart is based on modeling what U.S. gross domestic product would look like under present conditions, older workers leaving the workforce, being unable to switch jobs, or being denied promotions due to age discrimination, and comparing it to a counterfactual model in which those workers are able to reach their full potential. The chart shows the additional gains the economy would have if those barriers were removed. In addition to the direct costs of that lost worker productivity, the AARP report also notes that fewer jobs and lower income from age discrimination could also hit consumer spending from those older workers. The study estimated that the healthcare sector could miss out on about $674 billion in spending by 2050, while leisure and hospitality spending would be $468 billion lower than it would be without age discrimination. Businesses need to adapt to an older workforce. As America gets older, businesses will need to adapt to an aging workforce. Fortunately, there are advantages to building an age-inclusive workplace. Axios said that AARP's research shows there is a tremendous amount of value in inter intergenerational learning when you have mixed-age teams working together and that the most important thing a company can do is foster a culture of inclusion for older workers. Indeed, separate research has shown that diverse teams are not just smarter in producing more effective and creative solutions, but also yield greater financial returns than more homogenous teams. Together, the findings suggest America is long overdue in welcoming older employees back into its offices, warehouses, and factories, but it's also not too late to capture the enormous value they bring. Dr. Boyce Watkins tweeted three days ago, white man gets married, congrats dude, Asian man gets married. I wish you many years of happiness. Jewish man gets married. That's wonderful. Black man gets married. Man, you a GD simp. Why you be trying to be nice to these H's anyway? That's toxic culture. 
So there was a young man who responded to that tweet saying, now that's a world-class deflection. I've never seen a black male marry a white woman with kids over a black woman with kids. Responsible men simply don't want the burden of someone else's bad decisions, no matter their skin color. So I asked the question, seeing what I see and as an older woman, I said, I have a question. What if the woman was widowed or divorced? Is that the same thing to most of you? Is that taken into consideration? Or are all single mothers being lumped in the same category? So he responds to me, single mothers, whether divorced or widowed, and baby mamas are not the same. So I had, so there were two young ladies who responded to that response that he tweeted to me. First young lady said, but at the end of the day, the way you're putting it, they practically the same to you because they have children. And his other young lady said, um, what do you mean divorced widows are different? Dr. Boyce's wife is a divorcee, yet y'all are still condemning the man. For y'all to be a group of men who are the least likely to get married, y'all sure do obsessively police other people's marriages. I've been noticing a trend that I don't agree with. I don't like. I don't like this trend where women and men are pitting themselves against each other. Literally shooting themselves in the foot. When it comes to marriages, commitment, and relationships. When I grew up, you were with you go you went with the one who wanted to be with you, okay? Today I'm finding a bunch of young people, men and women of all races who have this laundry list of what they want in a mate. That the the, the doggone list is so long that no one could possibly meet all those requirements on that list. It seems to me as if they're making every excuse not to decide to commit to someone. I'm also seeing a trend that, well, I've actually been experiencing this trend for quite some time, but I'm beginning to see it rear his ugly head in public most recently with what happened between Tabitha Brown and Wendy Williams and that is women who aren't married or who have had unsuccessful marriages or relationships holding animosity against women who have found true love and who have experienced a successful marriage and a successful relationship. Now, these women aren't coming after them. They're the women who are married and who are happily married. They're not going after anybody. They're not bothering anyone. They're just minding their own business, living their best lives, innocently, 
a lot of times because Wendy Williams isn't the first person that's done this. I have seen a couple of women do this before. I'm not going to name their names because I'm not trying to uh, put anybody on blast. It just so happens that, you know, this Tabitha Brown, Wendy Williams thing is just a gift that keeps on giving. So I'm just going to go with that one. But I have seen this happen before. You know, happily married women are innocently just sharing their experiences, just minding their business, just happen to be talking about what's going on with them. They're not trying to brag. They're not trying to be holier than thou. They're not trying to show anybody up or make anybody feel bad. They're just living their lives. And bitter women are coming for their necks. It's just two groups of people, you know, that they have been trending. First off, a lot of this definitely has a lot to do with trauma that everyone who falls into these categories have experienced for the young people who are making every excuse not to get married to one another. They have witnessed bad relationships with their, with their aunts and their mothers, their grandmothers, their, you know, they, their, their older siblings, maybe. Okay. And they made a decision that they don't want to go through that themselves. I'm talking about all kinds of trauma. Like I said, nobody wants to have this conversation. That's why I am a firm believer in therapy. Because when you don't work through these issues, you begin to see life through the lens of your trauma. And when you see life through that jaded point of view, it's dangerous. You cannot live. You can't be happy when you're looking at life through that lens okay if you've seen your mother struggle or your grandmother struggle or your sister struggle your auntie struggle with men who have refused to commit to them who have constantly disrespected them maybe they maybe you know that the dad may have lost his wife wife probably died of cancer and he married into he married a woman who had a family of her own and then there was all this tension and trouble going on between the two families coming together and the kids couldn't get along. There's all types of things that these, this, this generation of young people have witnessed to the point where they'd rather be afraid to commit to someone and leave their parents home and strike it out on their own. They'd rather stay home and be afraid to make that decision for themselves. Okay? This is what I'm seeing. The second group of people, they've experienced trauma too. It's well known that Wendy Williams did not have a happy marriage. Okay? A lot of women her age, these women are in our age group. Okay? These are the perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal group. A lot of these women have experienced a lot of trauma with the men in their lives. They can't wrap their heads around the fact 
that there are some women out here who are experiencing successful marriages. They can't understand why. So they can't be happy for them because they're bitter about their own experiences. And so they begin to project their bitterness and their bad experiences on other people's relationships. And they begin to hate the person that they're projecting onto. And a lot of times they don't even know the person. It's crazy. Bitterness is a horrible thing. Bitterness destroys everything that it touches. Okay? The Bible says that you can be defiled by a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness. Bitterness can destroy. And that's what it does. To the point where you can't even be happy for someone who's blessed. And you're hating someone who you don't even know. Just because that person has known or experienced something that you haven't. My generation has done a piss poor job when it comes to modeling a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship to this generation of young people. And what we have, again, is a generation of young people who don't want to jump the broom. They don't want to get out and strike out on their own and they're 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 suffering they're in pain they're not receiving help for the issues that they're having and they're living and walking in that fear and it's it's frustrating and it's sad it really is the answer to all of that is the Lord that's what the answer to all of this is when my husband and I met we met years ago when I was still in high school I I, I met my boyfriend who had become my future husband we didn't know anything about marriage we didn't have a model. I came from a single parent. My husband came from a dysfunctional family. In, 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 in a sense, it was kind of dysfunctional. He came from a dysfunctional environment. I came from a single parent home. I didn't have a father growing up. So he and I knew absolutely nothing. Okay? We had no model. No. Let me take that back. The only model that I had was an uncle and aunt of mine who lived um, in the country. And I went to visit them from time to time. They had been married for many years, okay? They had been married until my uncle had passed away, okay? For as long as I can remember, they've been married. And they've had a very happy, loving, successful marriage. And I remember wanting that for my life. That was the model that I had. But my husband, though he didn't have a perfect model 
of a a successful marriage. He did have he did have examples of men who remained faithful and committed to their wives and their children. The relationships weren't perfect, but their foundation was there. Their foundation was laid. Most of the things that we learned about marriage, we learned from trial and error and from having faith and believing in what the Bible said and what God said about marriage and wanting that for our lives. That was our guide. And it was difficult. It was hard. It was not easy. We suffered a lot. We we suffered a lot of things. We've had some valleys. We've had more valleys than we've had hills. But we were willing to stick it out. Because we had faith that whatever we were lacking in our lives, the Lord was going to make up the difference. He always has, and he always would. He always does. I'm also lucky because I actually met someone who I loved and liked and wanted to be with. I don't know why or who I'm speaking to. I don't know why I'm speaking about this or who's listening today. But if you have someone in your life who loves you and who wants to take that chance with you, stop making excuses and stop halting the possibility for love and commitment and faithfulness and stability that a committed relationship a marriage can bring to your life the joy that it can bring. You're missing out. You're going to have to get past being afraid. I was afraid when I got married. My husband had proposed to me two years before I got married to him. I was afraid. Because I didn't know if we were going to last. And we almost didn't. But God was the center of our marriage. And the Lord made this work. That's the answer. You have to put God first. We've done... Our generation has done a piss poor job of putting God first in our relationships and in our marriages. And we put 
we put everything before our families. We put jobs before our families. We put our dreams. We put our ambitions. We put what people th- thought about us and titles and you know promotions and 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 and, and property and things and material things and all that stuff. We put that before our wives and husbands and children. And what we're seeing now is a generation that has been traumatized by that to the point that they don't want to make that decision for their own lives because of what they saw growing up. If you know that this, what I'm saying, is pertaining to you, if you have faith in the Lord, if you have children who are struggling with this, grown children, pray for them. It's never too late. Don't be disappointed with them. Don't. Don't. Condemn them. Don't look down on them. Don't forsake them. Be there for them. Support them. Acknowledge the fact that you may have played a part. In what's going on with them. Right now. And these young people, they're thinking that, you know, we owe them something. There's a lot of re- that's a lot of reason why they don't want to grow old either. They're waiting for an apology from us. They're waiting for an acknowledgement that we were not perfect parents or we something was missing in their lives and no one ever bothered to acknowledge that or apologize for it. It's really sad what I'm seeing right now. I want these young people to be happy. I want them to live. I want them to have families of their own. I want them to, you know, work together. Know what it is to be in the trenches and work together with somebody. To go through life together. It's no fun alone. You may have seen your parents, your aunties, your grandmothers struggling alone. There's some there are some people, there's a certain segment of the population who enjoy being alone. They don't want to be married or whatever. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about these people who talking about people who genuinely want to be with someone. They want a relationship, but they're afraid. Put down the Kevin Samuels propaganda and the, 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 you know, the, the, the Hotep propaganda and Sishet and all that. Put that stuff down. Open up your hearts. 
in your eyes. Take a chance. Don't be afraid to love. And if someone loves you and is willing to take that chance with you, go ahead and take that chance with them. Work together. Nobody, look, marriage and child rearing does not come with a manual. The only book you have to go by is the good book. A lot of prayer. But it can work. You can have that. It's possible if you want it. But don't let fear and trauma stop you from getting it. If you need to work some things out, if you need to get your mind right, get yourself together, do that. But don't deprive yourself of happiness because you're afraid and because of the trauma you experienced in your past. Shucks, I've I've experienced a lot of trauma in my past. You know, my father disowned me. He might, might, might be too, he didn't want to pay child support. So he told the people I was home one morning. <laughs> he told the people I was at home getting ready to go to school. He called my my, my mother from the office, uh, from the welfare office while I was home, and told them that he didn't know me or my mother. That messed with me for about, let me see, about four or five years because I was in middle school when that happened when I got to high school what he that the effects of what he did were finally getting out of my system because I was growing up I started having friends I you know was put around you know kids who were like myself and things like that I really started enjoying my high school years and having a good time that could have destroyed me but I always had hope that things would be better for me. I always had hope. I'm seeing hopelessness in our young people. And that's unfortunate. Don't lose hope that things would get better. Don't lose hope that You can't be happy. Don't lose hope that good things are out of your reach. Be hopeful. And for you ladies that are in my age group, don't be bitter and angry and hateful. We're at the age right now, we're supposed to be teaching the younger women. We're supposed to be an example for them. Now, what what, what Wendy Williams did was a poor example to young women today. And others like her, like I said, I'm not going to put their names out there and put them on blast. I'm only talking about Wendy Williams because this has been, like I said, that has been the gift that kept on giving. But that's an example. Okay? We're supposed to be teaching the younger women. We cannot do that when we're racked with bitterness. 
she has no excuse. She has the funds to go to some therapy and work through those issues, get herself together so that she can live again. But many of you probably don't have access to those resources. If you are believers, you need to pray and pray and pray and pray and ask the Lord for deliverance. I've been hurt about some things. It took seven years for me to be healed and delivered from that. It's not going to happen immediately, but in the process of waiting for healing, he's going to teach you some lessons along the way. Some valuable lessons. And when you come out on the other side of it, you're going to be filled with gratitude. You're going to be filled with patience. You're going to be filled with understanding, grace, mercy. You're going to come out on the other side a new person. The bitterness will be gone. And all the wisdom and all of the knowledge that you've learned and accumulated while you are waiting to be restored and redeemed and healed, the Lord can use that to help the younger women, to teach the younger women to not give up to not lose hope. It may not have happened for me, but it can happen for you. Let's strive for that today. Today's sources came from businessinsider.com, healthline.com, Genev.com, that's G-E-N-N-E-V.com. Dr. Boyce Watkins Twitter account. He's at Dr. Boyce Watkins number one. All other discourse and opinions are my own. Next week on a middle-aged woman's menopausal journey, we're going to be talking about difficulties in concentration. If that's going to be a short one, I'm going to go ahead and double that with dizziness. So that's going to be numbers 20 and 21. Difficulties in concentration and dizziness. Of course, if there's any other thing that I find worthy enough to post or um, add to the podcast concerning us, I most certainly will share it. Thank you so much for your patience. And like I said, there's a lot going on right now. A lot of good things happening um, right now. And um, I promise I will get through all 34 of these symptoms of menopause. Thank you for joining me this evening. Y'all have a great week. I'll see you soon.
Scientists.